Hello, and welcome to I Don't Know the Podcast, episode 38, Remote Viewing with Psychic Spies. Remote viewing is the psychic ability to see things and people when you're not actually there. The remote viewers can psychically sense locations, people, and feelings. But could this be real? I don't know, but there's enough belief in it for the CIA and other intelligence agencies to pump loads of money into studying it. But how good are the results? I don't know. Can I learn to be a remote viewer? I don't know. Can Yuri Geller be watching me during my more private moments? I don't know, and I wish I did, because that question is really starting to affect me. But anyway, listen this week to find out what else I don't know about remote viewing with psychic spies. In early occult literature, remote viewing was known as telethasia. It was described as seeing remote or hidden objects clairvoyantly with the inner eye or in out-of-body travel. There was serious studies of this in the mid-19th century. Early researchers even included Michael Faraday. Any results that appeared successful were met with scepticism over the years. Since then, studies by various institutes have continued, including studies by the Stanford Research Institute and the CIA. The CIA initiated Project Stargate after hearing that Russian intelligence services have been successfully using remote viewing. That could suggest that the Russians are more advanced in parapsychology research, or it could also suggest that it's pretty easy to get millions of dollars out of the CIA. I got into all this as a childhood magician. A basic requirement is of course the ability to read and write. Something that looks somewhat circular. It's a little squarish, but it's also circular. It's got a basic circle. All I can say is, either it's a lucky hit, or he's a planet. One of the biggest promoters of remote viewing is Russell Targ, and he's a real scientist. He received a degree in physics from Queens College in New York in 1954, and he was an early pioneer of research into lasers. Then, in the early 70s, he started to research into psychic abilities and their operational use for the U.S. intelligence agencies. As a result, he initially received a grant of $50,000 from the CIA and started Project Stargate. After some research of my own, I found his TED Talk on YouTube, which 
apparently has been banned for some reason. Well, I'm very happy to be here. My name is Russell Targ, and I'm a physicist. And it's my great pleasure to tell you about the remarkable work we did at Stanford Research Institute investigating psychic abilities. We did that for the CIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, NASA, and many, many other intelligence agencies, part of the U.S. government intelligence system. Many, many others? Who could they be? The NSA? The FBI? That's just two, not many, many more. I got into all this as a childhood magician, standing on the stage in New York doing mental magic. And I had the experience from time to time of having a direct perception of something in the life stream of the person whose mind I was pretending to read or whose fortune I was prepare, pretending to tell. Bueller? 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 It's all pretty boring in the beginning of this as he talks about being a young boy rapscallion street mu magician and how, although he was doing magic tricks, some of what he did was real ESP. But I was not doing magic for the CIA. As we know, the CIA is not easily amused, and we were trying to do the real thing for them. Boy, tough room. The work we did at SRI involved things like finding a downed Russian airplane in North Africa with code books on it, locating a kidnapped American general in northern Italy, looking into a Soviet weapons factory in uh, Soviet Siberia. Is he allowed to talk about this? That all seemed pretty specific. The ability we're talking about is a natural psychic ability that we all have in spite of what you may have heard to the contrary. People can quiet their mind and describe and experience what's happening in a distant place or in the future. And this has been talked about for thousands of years. Buddhists, Buddhists have a vast lore about what this is and how to do it and why it's desirable. I don't think I'd ever be able to do it. I mean, just getting a quiet moment is near impossible. The ability allows you to quiet your mind and describe and experience what's happening in the future. And you can do that independent of the distance. The most interesting thing that we found as physicists is that it's no harder to describe what's happening in Soviet Siberia, 6,000 miles away, than it is for you to describe the funny object I have in my pocket. What the hell does he have in his pocket? I think I'd rather think about Siberia than think about what's in that old guy's pocket. And that's why this is called a non-local perception. Not quantum mechanical particularly, it pertains to the fact that we live in a non-local space-time described as scientifically, most recently by Schrodinger in the 1920s, and then proved in the 1970s, 1980s. I'm not really sure we can trust anything Schrodinger says. I mean, we still don't know what happened with his cat. He goes on to detail how everyone involved was proper scientists, and how everything was above board and transparent. And we were eager that our scientific friends would not think that we'd gone off the rails into ESP research, so we made sure that we published everything we did, all of our experiments, in the world's most prestigious journals. This isn't quite true. 
It appeared the SRI was only publishing data that was favourable to their project. In fact, Targ and his colleagues were taken to court and forced by a judge to release previously unpublished transcripts. Targ bangs on for a while about his work with lasers, which I don't think anyone went along there to hear about. Then he gets back into the subject that everyone wants to hear about. So here we are in our laboratory, 1973. There's Pat Price in the middle. Pat Price was one of our great, great psychics. He was police commissioner of Burbank and retired. Psychic cops? He's playing here with an ESP teaching machine that was the basis of our first NASA program. My idea was, can you offer feedback and reinforcement and help people improve their psychic ability with a little random game where you have to guess which picture will be illuminated? The answer is yes, you can learn. And the great good news for you today is that game is now available as a free application for your iPhone. Really? I'm not sure if any listeners out there are aware of this, but I have an iPhone 11. I'm going to go to the App Store as soon as they open tomorrow. Price was an extraordinary psychic. He lived in a psychic bubble. He was an inspiration for me as to what ESP looks like in an evolved person. We were once called by the Berkeley Police Department where Patricia Hurst was kidnapped. And they said, we're so desperate, can you help us with your ESP program? It shows how desperate they were. This is the case of the granddaughter of media mogul William Randolph Hearst. She was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army. And Price said, let's see your mug book. He's a no-nonsense guy. He'd been in lots of police stations. I want to see the picture book with all the usual suspects. He turned the page, page after page, and said, that's the guy. That's the ringleader. And he put his finger on Donald DeVries, who was indeed the ringleader. It was extraordinary. But they learned that only two weeks later. The police said, well, can you tell us something right now that will help us? And Price said, would you like to know where the kidnapped car is? Wouldn't they want to know where the kidnapped person is, rather than the kidnapped car? He said, well, so if you drive about 50 miles north on Bayshore Free on Highway 101, the kidnapped car is a white station wagon. It's on the right, parked by a diner across from two large white gas storage cylinders in the pedestrian overpass across the freeway. And one of the detectives said, well, I know where that is. That's on my way to my home in Vallejo. 20 minutes later, they had found the car, and there were still cartridges rolling around on the floor of the car. That's as close to magic as I've ever seen in my 20 years in the laboratory. And Don't clap that. During that time, Paddy Hearst was being held in a cupboard somewhere in the Bay Area, receiving regular beatings. I'm sure the news that a man who claims he can see anything decided to find a car instead of her would have been of great comfort to her. Paddy developed Stockholm Syndrome and became a fully-fledged member of the Symbionese Liberation Army. She wasn't captured until a year and a half after her kidnapping. But, you know, this guy found a car. So this is the first in a series of experiments we did over a course of a decade and it's basically what convinced the CIA to give us money. That is, is they, what we played is a kind of psychic hide-and-go-seek. I need to come up with some game to take to the CIA. The way it works is Pat Price, or the psychic of the day, is in a shielded room, electrically shielded room with me. And 
how randomly is, is sent to an undisclosed location, random target picked by the lab director. In this case, they went to a swimming pool complex called Rinconada Park. Price with me said, I see a water purification plant, I see a square pool 65 by 80, and a round pool 100 feet in diameter, and two water storage tanks, that's what I see, and that's what he drew on the right. That does sound incredibly specific. Actually, they had gone to the swimming pool complex, and when we got there for feedback after the experiment, we saw the swimming pool is really 110 feet in diameter, and the rectangular pool is 75 by 100. So viewed from five miles away, he had the dimensions architecturally correct to 90%. That's still 10% off. Off my schedule, I got to tell you. He also described a national security agency code facility in Virginia. And he described that and was able to read the file folders. And people wanted to know, why did you pick this to read? And he said, well, the more, in psychic space, the more you hide something, the sh brighter it shines. <laughs> so let that be warning to anybody who's having an affair. Whoa, he's getting in his stride now. Uh, John McMahon, who's head of the CIA, said to us, you guys are wasting your time looking at swimming pools and churches. We have targets that would be of national security. Now, help. Can you describe a target and I'll send you the coordinates? No, but they can tell you where the guy's car is parked, probably. So Price and I climbed back into our little shielded phone booth, and he said, well, I'm psychically laying on a building and a giant crane is rolling back and forth over my body. There's a huge crane. It has eight wheels, four on either side of the building. And in this building, they're constructing a 60-foot steel sphere and they're welding it together. That all turned out to be entirely true. In fact, it was so true that after the steel sphere was verified, we then had a congressional investigation called by the House Intelligence Oversight Committee to see if there had been a security leak. This in the spirit of no good deed goes unpunished. But, uh... Oh no, he's lost the room again. He needs to get back to the extramarital affairs bit. I've had to heavily edit Russell Targ's talk. He talks a lot and adds a lot of extra pieces of information that really don't need to be in there. And he also doesn't have the most interesting speaking voice out there. For instance, he secretly goes to New Orleans while being tracked by two psychics. But he takes a very long time to say that. Eventually, he gets to his specific location. So I was sitting and standing in front of the Superdome recording my coordinates. This is noon. This is Russell Targ. I'm standing in front of the Superdome. It looks like a flying saucer shining in the sun. Bad thing to say. Back in the laboratory, my friend, another physicist, Gary Langford, very psychic, straight-up physicist, was working with Elizabeth Rauscher, who interviewed him. She's another physicist. All these people are professional physicists interested in the psychic stuff. Gary said, well, I have a clear picture of a circular building. It looks like a giant UFO. Do you think Russell's been abducted? <laughs> well, at least he got a laugh. But I've had enough of this guy. He goes on for another 30 minutes or so about how every person he tested went on to become the best remote viewer the world has ever seen, and their results were 90% accurate. 
However, the program was ditched by the government after, and I quote, it failed to produce any useful intelligence information. The American Institute for Research found, and this is another quote, there's no documented evidence that it had any value to the intelligence community. Despite this, I wondered, could I be a remote viewer? Well, apparently, I can. Do you want to learn remote viewing professionally, to be able to work in paid projects afterwards, or to use the skill to create your own projects, or to learn this technique for better intuition? Then, this video is just right for you. Wow, imagine that. Me, K-Mill, making all that remote viewing money from the comfort of my own home. It's the ideal pandemic profession. My name is Manuel, and I will now show you how an online course at our remote viewing school looks like. An online course? I'm sure he means course. Right, what do I need to start? A basic requirement is of course the ability to read and write. Okay, I got that down. Since the entire course takes place online, you need also an internet connection and Skype. An internet connection for access to the back office where you upload your sessions and Skype for the regular coachings we will do together. Yep. I got that too. Important is to have a quiet environment where you can work undisturbed for at least 45 minutes. 45 minutes because a typical remote viewing session will take not more than 45 minutes. Hmm, that might, that might not be so easy. I guess I could go and sit in the Toyota RAV4 hybrid for 45 minutes. No prior knowledge about spirituality or experiences with meditation methods are required. Well, thank goodness for that. Your age? Doesn't matter. Our youngest student was 16 and the oldest 79 years old. So you see, it's never too late to learn remote viewing. This is great. I'm pretty much set up for this already. After you have purchased an online course, we will send you the package with the handbook, the remote viewer pen and a small gift. A small gift? I wonder what it could be. Maybe some cool remote viewing glasses or a remote viewing hat or a compass with no arrow on it. So, when you signed up to the course, you get two one-on-one -on -one sessions with Manu. The first part is about theory, where I explain you how remote viewing works, what to consider, and so on. And in the second part, we already start to practice by doing a session together. I tell you the steps of the protocol, and you make a session under my guidance. Now the cornerstone is set to start remote viewing. This all goes pretty quickly it seems. I will then clearly tell you what you have to practice until the next coaching. You in the meantime do about 10 to 15 sessions and then we have the next coaching. Ugh, homework. And as well as homework you have to do a project as well. Ugh. In the RPG project you will already get tasks sent to you on a daily basis. And you have 24 hour time to submit your results, if you have processed the task. Once you achieve a certain success rate there, you also get the payment. But wait, I'm going to get paid already? At the beginning it is kept low and then increases if the percentage remains stable. If you have bad results or you vary a lot, then it is also no issue. Because the student project is primarily there to make the student better, more stable and to finally prepare them for the major projects. So I'll get paid no matter what? Let me also say here that this is of course not an obligation. 
The curse is finished and what you do with your ability remains your own decision. We offer you paid projects and if you would like to work with us, we would be pleased. Wow! Just like that I'll be a professional remote viewer. Getting paid big bucks to spy on people and buildings. The online curse has a one-time payment. That means there are no more costs for you afterwards. This is a one-time fee and you will be coached until you reach the 75% success rate. Well, great. Let's see how much it is so I can sign up. 2,498 euros? That's 2,241 pounds. That's... $2,956. You have to keep in mind that the price includes also the regular coaching over the whole curse period. I'd fucking hope so at that price. According to Groupon, I could become a qualified digital photographer, a dog groomer, and a Latin dancer, and I'd still have enough cash left over for 2,000 cans of brew dog. They're charging two and a half grand just so that you can spy on celebrities on the toilet. Um which is what I suspect some terrible perverted people would probably do with this training. But there are more curses that you can sign up for out there. And some of them you do in person. Like the one that skeptic Michael Sturmer went to check out. Here in Sausalito, California, a remote viewing workshop is being presented by Dr. Wayne Carr. Wayne Kerr? Really? What the fuck were his parents thinking? That name is up there with Dick Head or Mo Lester. Carr is a licensed psychologist who has been trained in the same remote viewing techniques used by the military. His class is made up of those who, like Carr, are fascinated by the phenomenon and wish to utilize remote viewing in practical ways in their own lives. Terry Veramontes is a hairdresser. How is remote viewing going to help his hairdressing? Also amongst Wayne Carr's students is a teacher and a firefighter. They're being taught exercises that open up psychic powers that we all already have apparently. The objective of the class is to identify a photo inside a sealed envelope. If successful, a significant accomplishment. I'm not sure of the real-life applications to being able to see a photo in an envelope. I guess if you can't find scissors or something. The participants sketch drawings and jot down descriptive words that come to them in flashes of inspiration. Ideas, abstractions, concepts, put them down. The information being gathered seems to be cryptic and contrary. One person perceives something soft, while his neighbor picks up on something cold. It's the job of the tasker or group leader to help interpret the data. The students aren't just writing and drawing on one piece of paper. They are making loads and loads of pictures on enough paper to kill a forest. Okay, he's got something top view, something that looks somewhat circular. It's a little squarish, but it's also circular. He's got a basic circle. And what kind of, what were you saying about this? That this people, at a, people at a sort of open grassy area. People in an open grassy Park, area. Uh, this is exactly what this is, people in an open grassy area. And you even said near England or London, you said London. Okay, when the target is finally revealed, the class is startled. Okay, here is the target. We got something in a grassy area with people looking at it that's round, and it's a semicircle because it doesn't go all the way around. It's The target is Stonehenge. Stonehenge. The most accurate drawing Wayne Carr pointed out was of a guy who wrote down London and specifically Hyde Park. Hyde Park is 
90 miles from Stonehenge, and even further apart in regards to society. Not only did all of us seem to tune into Stonehenge, yes. Mark Hall actually wrote the word Stonehenge. Mark, uh, who is an experienced viewer, has been sitting off by himself. Uh, basically, he has actually named the target. Okay, if, I want you to be able to zoom in on the word Stonehenge. This was most of our first attempt. We've never even heard of anything like this. And here we have a, a gentleman that sits over there with his little cap sitting back. He's a viewer. He's done this before. That is uncanny. Out of reams and reams of paper used by this one class, one of them wrote Stonehenge after being asked to write or draw international landmarks. Not everyone is amazed by this, including the guy that was asked to investigate the expensive projects used by the military for remote viewing. His name is Ray Hyman. At best, these remote viewers get about 15% of what they say correct. Well, it means that, that, that about 85% of what they say is wrong. Oh, that's not very accurate. In a detailed report prepared for the Defense Intelligence Agency, Hyman concluded that the phenomenon of remote viewing was at best a noble failure and at worst an age-old mind-reading trick. Not exactly a ringing endorsement. Basically, what the report said and what many others believe is that because the controller knows what the target is, he interprets the squiggles and the shapes to be what he's already thinking about. But what about Mark Hall? He actually wrote the word Stonehenge. It's not vague and it's not interpretive. What about the fact that Mark named the target? Well, I, I account for that. I would really like you to account for that. I, all I can say is either it's a lucky hit or he's a plant. Holy shit! And I know that doesn't okay. sound I, I know that doesn't sound nice, but in the business okay. of magic and, and the kinds of things we study, okay. these kinds of things happen all the time. Or so we could, have to be careful. So I would have had to been here at the start of that session to see, you know, right. And so and maybe this was you not guys a scientific uh, control. Yeah, maybe you guys, you know, you told them what it was. How do I know? Come on, Michael. Don't mince your words. As you can probably tell, he's not convinced. So Dr. Wankar has agreed to allow two of his better viewers to take part in a control test. Tonight we have a uh, special remote viewing demonstration. Remote viewer Mark Hall is joined by Beverly Marcotte. Beverly's target contact success rate is considered one of the best in the field. The sealed target sits on this podium for nearly an hour. The two viewers draw and write, then signal when they are finished. Michael has sealed a location in an envelope that nobody knows about. Dr. Carr wanted us to make it clear that my very presence as a skeptic administering the test could create a dampening effect on target contact. Well, you have been calling them plants and charlatans. Before I reveal the target, the remote viewers summarize what they saw. I saw a structure that it was cylindrical along and almost like, I almost had a feeling like there was like this turning motion almost um, Possibly one structure moving inside of another. I deducted something like a Ferris wheel. Well, I saw it was either like a caisson or a horse-drawn carriage or something. I thought maybe somebody passed away or maybe it symbolized a, a crossing because it was going over a river. So it's either a Ferris wheel or a horse and cart. Before they open the envelope, Dr. Wanker takes a look at the drawings and scribbles. She deducted a Chinese wall rocket, oil drum, cement mixer, a deduction of Teddy Roosevelt, 
a fan tail jet engine. And again, he's got some kind of conveyance. It could be a carriage, an automobile. Well, you've, you've thrown out about 30 or 40 different things, so it seems like almost no matter what it is, you can say, well, number 17 is the one that I said it was, so there it is. So It's true. They've drawn every single shape imaginable. They've drawn different modes of transport, different monuments. I think I saw an Eiffel Tower in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure what to make of all this, other than when I selected the target, um, I purposely chose something that wasn't a box or a circle, because that's what you guys always draw, mm -hmm. box, boxes and circles. You said on your webpage that you've uh, remote-viewed galaxies, so I have the most famous picture ever taken of galaxies. Uh, and here it is. And that was the target. The photo is a shot taken by the Hubble Space Telescope in Earth orbit. Nothing like a horse or a Chinese wall. Dr. Carr utilizes Mark and Beverly's notes and sketches to argue that the results are a success. Here is uh, Beverly's first sketch here. She's got something, she's got circles, and, uh, and some arrow is going in a rotating motion. So to me, and I think to most people, that this is um, basically describing something that's in motion in a circular motion. So what is a galaxy? It's something in a circular motion. So is this above chance? Yes. It's really nothing like the picture. It's not even remotely like it. No, no, no. Okay. Only if you tell us ahead of time it's a galaxy. Then I would be impressed. What only about this one? This if one there are only like nice four drawing. sketches. Well, how come you want to throw that one away? This is a nice drawing. Okay. It doesn't look at all like a Hubble telescope or a galaxy. I, okay, okay, I so give I you that. But, if, it's, but if one of the four sketches describes something in a circular motion, that's pretty much above chance. Mark has probably about six sketches one of his sketches, he has, again, a circular structure, and he calls it a whirlpool of energy. So is Dr. Carr being generous? Generous? I think delusional is more apt. But then, once a Wayne car, always a Wayne car. Episode 38. Remote viewing with psychic spies. The epilogue. So, what have we learnt this week? We learnt that if you've been kidnapped, do not ask a remote viewer to find you. 20 minutes later, they had found the car, and there are still cartridges rolling around on the floor of the car. We learnt that, as well as being a power, remote viewing can also be a curse. How an online curse at our remote viewing school looks like. And we learnt that there's a certain type of person who tells people that he can teach them how to remote view. Dr. Wayne Carr. Remote viewing has been around for a long time now, but there doesn't seem to be any proof at all that it can be done. The CIA spent millions of dollars on Project Stargate and had absolutely nothing to show for it. The data they gathered was vague, irrelevant, or just complete shit. None of it was ever of any use to any intelligence operation. After an investigation, it was even found that the viewers had been given clues in order to show impressive results. The fact that that spoon-wrecking twat Yuri Geller was involved probably tells you all you need to know about it. And I don't need to spend two and a half grand for someone to tell me my circles and doodles look like the Taj Mahal. Let's face it, if remote viewing was possible, 
people wouldn't be using it to look at Stonehenge. It'd be used for much more important things. And I'd never have to delete my browser history ever again. If you enjoy this podcast, then share it with your friends and let me know. Join the Facebook group and the Instagram, and you can email me at idontknowpod at outlook.com. Special thanks to our logo creator, Raymond Roel of Project Raven Creative. See all his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and come back next week to find out what I don't know. Sandy.